Welcome to today's show. My guest is Michael Peterson. We met in Nexability with my friend Sydney Elaine Butler, who is part of the NeuroDrive team. And Michael is just the most incredible soul. Oh my gosh. He read a poem that just hit me all in the feels, and he's going to share it with you guys today. And we're just going to have a fun flow conversation because Michael is just an amazing human. And I just cannot wait to introduce you to him. Let's get going. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, late identified autistic ADHD human, and your host of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and burnout restoration unveilers community. You're about to experience the new way to thrive as a neurodistinct brain and body by getting off the chronic cycle burnout loop for good. By unveiling your authentic self, defining what thriving feels like for you, knowing your burnout signpost, so those top 20 burnout warning signs are a thing of the past and stepping into your best life as the creator and leader you are meant to be. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated self-care tips and we say yes to who we are in order to create an energized, authentic, peaceful and harmonized world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. I said, I love the intro. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much. I just, I love the song. Like, it just is happy. It makes you want to dance. And it's like, how can you feel sad or gloomy when you hear, like, just that lifts you up, you know? And I just love that. So, Michael, you and I met in Nexability, where we were having a conversation about intersection and being a Black person and and autism and all of the intersectional things that happen. Um, and that's just like a really big part of an important conversation that I think isn't happening nearly enough in the world. It's just not, you know, it, it's not happening for women. It's not happening for people of color. And if you got more than one intersectional spot, it's really not happening unless, you know, we're sitting here having a conversation about it and really making sure that that's happening because like the rest of the world's not talking about that. And, I loved that we had this whole night where you were sharing what your experiences were. People, other people in the group were sharing what their intersectional experiences were. And it was just, it was such a beautiful place because it was like, I felt this energy in the room that people were like, we're being seen and heard collectively together in that space. Yeah. And you were so, oh my gosh, like I, you had me crying, like tears of joy that night. <laughs> when you shared, um, especially your poem. So what, how did you come to the knowledge that you were autistic? I mean, how did this whole thing happen for you? Like, how did that conversation like come into your world? Cause it's not like you knew from birth. So how right. did this happen for you? Yeah. So, um, actually, uh, it kind of smacked me over the head. So with that intro, I, why I, I enjoyed it so much was because of the discussion of burnout. So that's pretty much what happened where um, I had moments of like uh, meltdowns, but when I went to get help for them, they diagnosed me with something else. So I got diagnosed with major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and that was like, all right for a while. Um, but then I was at work and I remember like facing what I now know is kind of autistic burnout. Um, where my brain would shut down. Like I knew how to do the job, but like I would like look at the screen 
and like I just couldn't do anything. Like I, I was just pretty much frozen, and like people were like, "What's wrong with you?" It's like I felt stupid. Like there was a lot of there was a lot going on. It was very stressful. Um, but then it kept on happening, and um, I thought it was like just me. Just I have to figure out how to get this job done, and like I just gotta you know. There's like a bunch of ego started coming in, into play. Um, but that didn't work out. And that in, in a combination with a bunch of like this myriad of experiences of like, why is this going? Because I always knew that I, like, I was different, so to speak. Um, I felt different. I felt like I saw things that people didn't. Um, I felt like I noticed certain things, but I felt like there was a lot that I, I, I couldn't convey the fact that I saw all that or perceived and received all of it. Um, and I had always looked into men mental illness and mental health awareness. I'm very into psychology and stuff. So I was reading all of these things and I happened upon um, like autism and neurodivergence and I had been looking into it for a long time. Um, and I had noticed that there was a lot of like similarities between um, what actually made the big click was I went on YouTube and I got a perspective of like autistic adults, like from their perspective and not like from like the DSM-5. And that was really what made the click was um, listening to um, the channel. The name of the channel is escaping me, but uh, he's he's an adult and he talks about his experiences um, through autistic burnout. So I was like, this is the one for one. Um, and I started looking into that and I started looking into um, just more and more research. And that was like about a year and a half. Um, and then I happened to be talking with some of my friends and I had shared with one of my friends about how I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that I think that I'm autistic, but I think I'm autistic, but I hadn't told anybody yet. Um, so they were in the group and they're like, you know, I know that you haven't told anybody yet. So I don't want to like just out you. Are you okay with me sharing this? And I was like, yeah. Um, and then they were like, yeah, well, like, I know that you think like you've been noticing that you might be feeling this kind of way. And then my, one of my other friends was like, oh really, I'm autistic. And you're allowed to like be self-discovered. And then we started talking about our experience. We had already related on like a lot of things. And they were into, um, they also very into researching uh, uh, neurodivergence, schizophrenia and mental health. That was like their interest. Um, so uh, after that, like I started having a lot of conversations with them and I, through that, like I kind of normalized referring to myself in that kind of way. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is this makes way so much more sense than like everything else, honestly. Oh my gosh! Like that? Yes. <laughs> so much yes in that. You know, that's that's one of the things that that's how most people come to their identification late in life is through a burnout. Yeah. Like really like the worst, like you've had burnouts throughout your whole life. You just maybe didn't know it, but it's like you come to this identification through probably the worst burnout you've ever experienced. And, you know, Doug Bletcher and I were talking about this not long ago. He and I both were like talking about meltdowns and shutdown. And it was interesting because I was like, you know, I don't really have meltdowns per se. And it's not like they happen very often. I mean, I have had them but they're really, really few and far between. For me, it was like shutdowns. Like I would shut down and I didn't realize that that's what I was doing 
and when those things, when I was shutting down, like when you were talking about, I was like in my brain as you were talking, going, you got the freezies. I call them the freezies, <laughs> you know, like you just get stuck and it's like, you just freeze. And it's yeah. almost like you disconnect like this disembodied mm-hmm. experience. And it can be really terrifying to like, after the fact, you know, cause in the moment you're totally just like zoned out, disconnected, but it's like once you start to realize that it's happening or that it has happened, then it, it's almost scary. Like it yeah. made like when I experienced that, sometimes it would like make me feel like I was losing my mind and I was scared to tell anybody. I definitely felt I definitely felt like that for sure. Yeah. Like I was and uh, just being having the, your friends be willing to like open up and, and even ask you like, Hey, I know you're thinking about this. Is it okay to share it? I mean, Oh my gosh, what a nice friend. First of all. Yeah. I'm very grateful for the friends I have. Um, I think that they've been such an important support in like my, my discovery journey that like you saying, you saying that you it's scary because you feel like you're like uh, basically going insane. I very strongly, very strongly that even that also is like a whole rabbit hole of like, my touch, um, my like relationship with the idea of sanity, with what I was experiencing was like, cause I, I associated sanity with being neurotypical, but I didn't know that. So, because there were so many ways that I wasn't that, I was like, oh, and I also had a lot of, you know, like my family was like telling me I'm crazy and stuff. Um, so I was like, you know what? Maybe I am crazy. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just crazy, honestly. But now I know I'm not. Um, so thank you to all of my friends. Y'all know who you are. I love you. Thank you. I'm telling you, our friends are the things that, that they're the, they're the network, the support that, that will save us sometimes from ourselves, even (laughs) it's just such a necessary, that's why community is such a huge part of this just journey in late identified life for me. You know, it's why I want to make sure that I create it because I never had it growing up. I was, I played by myself. I wanted friends, but i never was able to like make friends. And I had friends and looking back now, they were definitely the neurodistinct folks in the bunch. We were vibing with our tribe, right? Yeah, but, definitely. But I never like had sustained friendships like I wanted or, or what I thought they were supposed to be, right? And then it was like, by the time I got through with eight hours at school and would come home, I didn't really want to talk or play with anybody else so much. I really just wanted to like hang out in my closet where I had built, built my little Barbie doll world and just play or veg out and watch Batman, you know? Yeah. Yeah, To decompress. I definitely relate to that very strongly. My first friend in elementary school actually was also autistic. Like, like they told, they told us that. And I, I remember it's just funny thinking back in it because I, I I just they told me I looked at them and I was like you don't really seem that much different from me so I was like I didn't like they were trying to explain to me like what it was at the time like, Asperger's these are the symptoms I'm like well that sounds like me so like and I'm and I'm thinking that I'm not autistic so I was like I just didn't understand at the time um, my how I grew up uh, I would go home. And my parents would come home like three hours later, they'd be from work. So I had a lot of alone time. And I think that having the connection that like, I thought like that's just because that's how I grew up. I just got a lot, a lot of alone time, not no friends. Like, I mean, people at school, they weren't really vibing with me. A very common story with, you know, uh, 
undiagnosed autistic people. Um, and then I come home and I'd have complete silence and it was like, this is peace, you know? Um, so it took, when I got older and um, kind of realizing how like all these experiences fit into like who I am now, realizing that, oh, like this is, this is how I got here. Whereas like, I'm very like isolative. Um, and when I feel that I'm about to like, like meltdown or like get too much, I tend to just like disappear. Like I'll just like, I'm, I'm gone. I'll go somewhere else. I go, go a different room or I just leave the entire function. Um, which it has been interesting, an interesting journey. Like I'm working on expanding and being more outward and more, um, you know, networking and building and more intentionalizing my relationships. Um, and that has only been the case after understanding myself as a neurodivergent person, because before I just thought it was impossible. So very cool. One of the things that the, has come up in a couple conversations, well, I say a couple, okay, lots of conversations, <laughs> let's just be honest. And it's just like, before we know, that we're neurodistinct when we just like leave a party because we've just had enough or, you know, we do things because we've just reached a point that our, our system, we're just maxed out. We we're at capacity and we've done all we can do and we retreat. There's like the shame storm that comes up of like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so embarrassed. Or, you know, then I feel like I have to apologize and then explain why I did things and all that. I mean, is that something that's come up for you by chance? All the time. Definitely. Um, and it's always a balance too, because I think I've just been blessed with a, like, like my close friends, they're very understanding. Um, so and it wasn't always like that, obviously, but um, I think I've navigated around to people who um, like are on the same vibration of like, oh, they're very understanding. Like they understand it's like, oh, like I like text my friend after like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't say bye. Like I just had to dip. And then be like, yeah, it's fine. Um, but that was something that was really big where uh, a lot of times all right, so like rewind. In interesting thing was there was this point in like growing up where I was like the clown. So like I was in the sense of like people viewed me as like the guy who was joking, like brighten up the room and stuff like that. And that sort of became a mask after a while where it was like, even if I didn't feel that way, like I felt like I had to perform that role. Um, so that became like, that became like my anchor of like, the social anxiety that I was experiencing. Like if I didn't properly perform my role in the environment, I felt like I failed. So it's like, if I wasn't in the mood or if I was starting to be like less talkative or if it's like I had my, held my face in a funny way, like very hyper vigilant towards like everything. Like, oh, my, my face was like that. Or I looked at them too long or I didn't, I forgot to smile when I looked at this person. Like my inner voice would just, go to town on me after like i just be chilling in my room and it's just like bop, bop, bop. like you did this you did that oh now they hate you blah, blah, blah. and i'm like oh man it was it was exhausting for sure and you know that's one of the things that is one of the biggest contributing factors to neurodistinct burnout is our yeah. thoughts i mean 
bless those folks who only have like 70 to 90,000 thoughts a day. Love that you have that quiet mind. <laughs> there are those of us with like 180,000 to 270,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. And it's exhausting, especially when like the energy or the charge, because, you know, our thoughts are electrical impulses mm-hmm. in our synapse and they have a charge. And the emotion that's attached to that has that charge and it carries either it's going to invigorate us or it's going to drain us. And I, I think so many of us have that internal monologue, you know, that thought thermostat that's like running in the background going, why didn't you do that? Or, oh my gosh, that person's going to think you did this and this. And, and you're replaying the conversation in your head for like a week on loop Trying to make sure you didn't miss something because the experience in our life has been that in a conversation, somehow we've missed something and then it's cost us something down the road. Right. Right. Exactly. It made me realize too, is that um, I thought that my mind wasn't working fast enough because I didn't respond or react quick enough. But sometimes it might be the inverse of that where it's like, there's too much going on that I have to sort through that makes me slow down. Like when you have a lot of options on a menu realizing that i was like okay i'm I'm definitely gonna be more accepting of myself that's been a big thing to help me actually like maneuver through a lot of the the difficulties that i i may experience with like friction amongst how i'm expected to act versus how i feel compelled to act is separating separating my identity from the behavior and understanding that like understanding like the cause and effect that led me there and then going back to the cause and then seeing like how I feel about that from that level. And then from there you can pivot and, and think of, okay, how can I, how can I act in a way that is alternative from the original, but like still um, fulfilling the underlying need that made me react this way. Okay, so you guys just heard why I fell in love with this guy, right? <laughs> like just this this right here. Oh my gosh. Totally. Like, oh, your brain is so juicy. I love it. <laughs> like you just hit, okay, let's just talk spiky profiles, right? I mean, this is the thing that camouflaging, you know, that's masking to the professional level of like where you are masked in all scenarios, like sitting at home doing something all by yourself because you have become, that's become something that's, that's like the masking protective survival mechanism that you've used for so long that it's just, you're using it home alone and that right. you can't like decloak, right? Like the Romulan ship, it does not decloak around here. And it's, it's really, you talked about something that I think is really important. And this was something I didn't recognize to put words to it. Like I felt it because there's, that's the thing is like, I would feel things. I'm also alexithymic, but I wasn't able to put words to it, to explain it. And like, when you were talking about finding a YouTube video where somebody was talking about their experience of adult autistic burnout, it was like, that's what has really been the biggest help for me is to be able to have conversations because I can feel things, but I can't always articulate it or have the right word to put with it. And one of those things was what's called a spiky profile. So 
for you guys who are who are maybe just like joining us or just kind of come into this conversation, spiky profiles are like, you can be super, super good at something like this is your strength and where you just naturally excel. And then there's something that is equally on the opposite end of something that like you really struggle with. It's just not something that you're very good at. But the way the world perceives it is because you're really good at this one thing, you should have an equivalency in your performance in these other areas. And then they're just like, are you being obtuse? Are you being difficult? Are you being dumb on purpose? Are you like trying to get manipulate me to do this? Because I mean, you can do all of these things over here, like super fast and no problem. And everybody else struggles with it. But like this simple thing you're struggling with, I mean, what's up with that? And it's really tough. I mean, has that been something that's like come into your world? Because I was kind of hearing you talking about it, I think. Yes. Just a big fat yes. <laughs> like that whole thing. <laughs> I love that emphatic yes. <laughs> like, oh my God. So much. Because for me, like that spiky profile thing, which I'm I'm taking that, putting it in my pocket. Um, that was like, like school, basically. Um, so like in our conversation, something that happened towards the end was... Uh, uh, Keisha I brought up like we went to school together and um, she was like Michael was like, a very good student and, and so on and so forth like very participating and, and whatnot um, like I would have never known and like I feel like that kind of plays into like the whole spiky profile thing because um, I'm I was very good at math like I mean I still am I'm good at math and science and like I like to learn and like I like my mind being stimulated in that way um, and also another thing was, is that like, um, a lot of times it felt like the classroom environment was one of my soul's place, places to speak about my genuine interest. Like I was genuinely passionate about these things. So raising my hand in science class was me being, wasn't about like being smart. It was about like, I actually care about the, the diameter of Jupiter. And I was like, weirdly fascinated and that kind of stuff so but then it was like if my room was disorganized or like i was struggling with like something else like picking something off a menu it's like you're so good at math how come you can't do this blah blah, blah. i'm like that's not the same thing and i never had a word for it so it was so frustrating but now it makes a lot of sense and there's like this internalized piece of that that you really start to like beat yourself up and then it's like those perfectionist type tendencies come out because it doesn't feel safe. Like it's not okay. And it doesn't feel safe for me not to be good at this because people react or respond so strongly when I don't do this well. And so then it's like, then you almost like hyper-focus and like try and force yourself to be good at something and then not ask for help and not tell anybody that you're struggling with something. And then I can look back on things like that. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's definitely telling. This is, uh, this is an important conversation because it's unpacking a lot for me. Like there's some experiences that I haven't really put in that context yet that um, it connects to like my attachment to like independence, for example, like I felt, I felt like I did have to do things by myself because people already viewed me as someone who had it all together. Like, oh, he's so good at math and whatever that like, why would he need help and and stuff? Um, and I started to, like you're saying, believe that about myself. So I wouldn't like, I wouldn't ask for help also because sometimes I'd ask 
when I did ask for help, people would like automatically perceive me like as like up here. I go like, why do you need help from me? Like you should already have this figured out. I'm like, I really don't. And it's like, I need, I need help. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Um, so then it got to a point where, um, there was like internal resistance around asking other people for things. Um, and that bled so far that bled even to, into my adult life with being able to ask for like, just help, like logistically getting to places like when I'm in a financial bind and it's like, I have people who actually do care. Um, and that's, that was the second thing where it's like, once you get to a point in life where, where people aren't reflecting like your trauma, it's like you had, now it's like, you have to, I have to stand up because now it's just me. It's not someone else like, you know, um, being mean to me. It's just me kind of holding on to that. Um, and that's a, a big thing that led me to, like I did, uh, addressing, addressing this whole neurodistinct identity, um, was the fact that there's aspects to it that I really enjoy about myself. There's aspects to it that, um, on the flip side of that, you know, that spiky profile thing, it's, it's polarized me where there's, I have super strong strengths and these weaknesses that, um, I don't want to just let them be who I am forever. Like my, my, um, when I want to speak to someone, sometimes I might just stare at them. <laughs> like I just sit there, like, just like blank face. And I have a flat affect too. So some people would be like, think that there's a problem. Like this, that's probably an intersectionality thing too, because. <laughs> like, like, like my friend says, oh my gosh, she's so funny. Rakaya says, you good. <laughs> and, uh, and like my, the four different levels of you good. <laughs> literally, that can mean so many things. It's like my community, sometimes if we, like, we look at each other the wrong way, it's like, yo, you got a problem? Like, what's, what's good? <laughs> really good. And it's like, no, like, I just like your shirt or <laughs> something like that. You know, and it's just like, Michael, I love talking to you so much. Oh my gosh. I knew we were going to have a great conversation. I just did. I just knew it. Cause you're, you're such an amazing person, but it's like, you know, when you grow up and you don't know your neurotype, but you just know you're different. Cause like, I mean, it's not like we don't feel it. We know it. We feel it. I mean, we have experienced the fact that we don't necessarily fit in the same way other people seem to like seamlessly fit. And I mean, I would even, I would buy the same exact earrings. I'd make sure my fingernail polish was the same color as the other girls. I'd make sure I would watch how they walked you know, like how they would talk, how they would do their hair. I would do the exact same thing. And it was like, I had just spray painted myself neon orange. Yeah. It, did, it, it, were, it wasn't working. It was like somehow when I did it, it stood out and was weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you then have those moments where you discover like maybe in class, you're really, you really like something, you're passionate about it, or maybe you're just really good at something. And this even kind of followed me into adulthood and you're, you find you have a strength or because you 
you're naturally interested in something. So of course, you know, our brains, we're going to dive into all the information and we're going to rotate it. And then we're like Encyclopedia Brown with whatever the topic is. And we can find somebody that says, oh, they're interested in it. And then we're like, oh, great. And then we like info dump them. And then they're just like deer in the headlights. Oh my God, get me away from this woman. that just, you know, talked to my arrow for an hour and a half about vision science. So, you know, we have those things. And then, and there's also... It, it kind of goes back to that spiky profile thing where, oh, I'm good at this. That's my strength. People respond to that and then acknowledge it. So that's what I need to do more of. And the things that we're not good of, it's like we get to where we hide it or we do whatever we can to like minimize the fact that anybody knows that we struggle. Because if anybody knows that we struggle, then then somehow we're not worthy. We're not good enough. And we failed yet again. It doesn't matter that I'm good at this. And, you know, even the things that, like we can be really good at doesn't necessarily mean that we enjoy it. But then somehow we end up getting stuck doing it on any kind of group or committee. It's like, oh, you're really good at that. Why don't you do that? And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I'll do that again. And I, what I've noticed too is that there's a, um, when it comes to, like talking to people who are neurotypical about certain things that I struggle with. It's like their approach to solving problems is so different than mine that like in some situations it, it was kind of effectively like, just do it. And I was like, if I could just do it, then I would have done it. <laughs> so that must not be the issue. Um, which then cycle around to why I wound up like going so deeply into psychology like I'm even kind of unpacking this a little bit right now is that is to look for solutions. Um, and even like my ability to articulate was also looking for solutions because I remember being very young. Well, first thing what happened was when I, I can remember when I first learned how to talk and my family was like, ah, can we go back to that last week? Cause I just would not stop. I just kept going. But <laughs> yes. I remember looking through the dictionary because I was very frustrated about like, I need to know, figure out how to say what I, what, um, what is on my mind. So I'd like literally look through, read the whole thing and I'd find a bunch of other words. And like, that's basically how I got articulated. I just find other words and I, I wouldn't find the word I was looking for, but I find other stuff. So it's just like, I just wind up knowing that. And really that actually happened with science too, where I was looking for something else. Um, and I went to the librarian. I was like, do you have books on quasars or something like that? And they're looking at me like, here's a seventh grade kid talking about quasars. What? <laughs> we don't have that, but you can look at those chemistry books over there. And I was like, okay. And I read through all of them and I didn't find what I was looking for. So I just <laughs> wound up knowing chemistry. Uh, so that's, that would be how, how that goes around. And then I go, and then I'm in chemistry class now, my teacher teaching it wrong. Um, She's teaching the molecules wrong. And I'm like, actually, miss, it goes like this. And then people are looking at me like, this kid is so smart. How does he know about chemistry? And for me, like, it's just, I just happened to have looked into it. So, so, cause I was so fervently looking for this one piece of information that I actually never found. I didn't, I mean, I didn't never find it. I found it later, but I didn't find it at the time. So it's just like, I coincidentally know this information that is pushing me into this intellectual smart bubble <laughs> that people have of me of that, like, oh, he's so smart. He knows everything about science and da 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 
So then when I finally get to the point towards the end of the, of the semester, like the end of the year, where I finally land on some stuff that I don't know, and there's no one there to help me because everybody's like, oh, he's good, he's good. You know, they're all off over there. I go to the teacher. I'm like, hey, miss, can you can you um, help me with this? I don't know how to do it. She goes, I failed chemistry in college. And I was like, how, how are you my teacher then? That just didn't make, it just didn't make any sense at all. I feel like that's sort of a microcosm for um, a kind of my experience at being neurodistinct, um, especially in like in my community and my family. I don't really fault them for how they reacted to certain things because um, we just didn't have, we didn't have these conversations. We didn't, we weren't privy to it. We They also didn't have the internet. So they didn't have the ability to like, if they're, if their mom said that the earth was flat, they couldn't just Google it and see that that's wrong, for example. So um, I think that's the beauty of, of like the time that we're in now is that we have the ability to access information on our own terms. I love how you just described how information comes into my world too. And if you guys were so relating to what Michael just said, oh my gosh, right there with you, I would go, okay, so for my 20th birthday, I said, I want an unabridged dictionary. I don't know a whole lot of folks that would have asked at 20 years old for an unabridged dictionary, right? right. But... It was because I had read an art history article and there was a word in that article that didn't quite make sense to me. And I love words. I'm a word nerd. <laughs> I love linguistics. I love root words. And what's the Latin? And what's the Greek? You know, where did it come from? How did it evolve? I'm that kind of word nerd. So when I read that article and there was a word in there and I don't remember what the word was today, which is kind of crazy because at the time I was obsessed, like obsessed. It, I could not close the loop on that thought because I had read that article and the word didn't quite make sense to me. And I looked at the context. I did all the stuff and I just couldn't figure it out. So I told my parents, I think it was for Christmas, actually, I want an unabridged dictionary. So I get the unabridged dictionary for Christmas. I go immediately, unwrap it, go immediately for the word. It is not in the dang unabridged dictionary. And I'm like, it's not in here. So then I go back to school. I go back and find the article. I reach out directly to the person who wrote the article. He was a professor at another university. And he said, oh, that's my word. And I'm like, you jerk. What part of like putting an asterisk and defining a word that you've made up at the end of this article didn't occur to you? Hilarious. I was so, so mad. But it's like that. It's like I got in there and went to look for the word. The next thing I know, I've read like 30, 40 pages and absorb all these new words. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Or anytime I would go look for information, I would find all these other things. And then I would like, oh, well, I I read it, but I would catalog it, right? It was like almost yeah. I would catalog the information. It's not like I was like actively learning it. I was just reading it and just absorbing it in the way my brain absorbed it. And I'd be in a conversation or something. I don't know, 
six months, a year, 10 years later. And it's like, oh, you know, one time I read this thing and it was like, so and so and people are like, oh my God, how do you know that? I'm like, I don't know. I was looking for something one day. <laughs> I just happened to read it. This is exactly how it happens. Like, what are you doing? Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm right now, I'm watching a video on the mating habits of dolphins. I don't know how I got here, but <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. Um, that is very relatable. Uh, I had, I got my mom to buy me a, a mathematics book in middle school actually. Um, it had like calculus and derivatives and stuff and all that in there. Um, and really this also cycles around to like um, something that's important to me, which is like spirituality, which is, um, I don't know if I got into this during the intersectionality conversation, but it is an intersection. It is an intersectionality thing where of like racial identity combined with neurodistinct, being neurodistinct combined with the information that I was receiving combined with like my natural interests. So the reason that I got into math and science was because um, I learned how to, I don't want to say I learned how to speak late, but I was like a late speaker. Like I was like three and I wasn't talking. Um, and they hired a speech therapist and then the speech therapist would talk to me and then I would talk. And real, now I look back and I realize I just was only comfortable talking in certain scenarios. So I would talk to the speech therapist. The speech therapist would go to my parents and be like, hey, your son can talk. And then they'd come in and then I would stop talking. <laughs> I just sit there quiet. And they're like, no, he can't talk. You're fired. Um, so my dad took it um, uh, in his own hands. And he's like, I'm going to buy my son a bunch of like, math books and da, 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 and like stimulate his mind that way. Um, and that was successful, probably more successful than anticipated. Um, I got so into this stuff. I was so into these like math problems. I'm like, this is, this is the godsend. Like I got so into it that like, that's, I literally just ran over the horizon with all of that. Um, so I just like my dad would be like doing taxes or something like that. And I'd run up to him and I'd be like, do you know that the diameter of Jupiter is didn't mean like, Michael, please, <laughs> Michael, please. I'm trying, I'm trying to do something here. I'm like, you know, adult situation stuff like that. And then I'd run to my sister. I'd be like, do you think that angels come from Mars? Because in the Bible, it says that they came down and they had physical form and they were interacting with humans. My sister would be like, I'm done with you. I'm not having this conversation. I'm I'm going somewhere else. Um, so oh, like, see, I totally have that conversation with you. <laughs> so my mind was just like, just like running, and like that's kind of, I think what, what sent me, uh, what really planted the seed of like curiosity and um, and intrigue, and like passion for like the unknown, uh, for me, um, and because of like those experiences that became something that really was done in my own time. I, I want to, okay, I, I realized pretty quickly that like, like people, like if they're not interested in it, obviously they're not gonna want to have that conversation. Um, and it took a long time to not take that personal. Um, because for me, I was like, I'm identifying with these things. I'm like, this is so cool. How do you not see how cool this, this stuff is? Um, but realizing that, okay, um, like I, for some reason, am extremely attracted to Jupiter. Um, I'm very into math, and uh, I I'm also very creative. So 
um, there is the whole left and right brain thing that they have, where it's like if you're right brain, then you're creative. If you're left brain, then you're mathematical. I was always, I was always like, I'm both. How can you separate the two? That it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what point in my life it was, but there was some point in time where um, it really all like kind of compounds on top of each other. So there was a point in time where I started realizing that. Um, like my interest in Africa connected to uh, these interests. So um, there's a lot of, you know, civilizations like Kemet and Kush um, where these are things like looking into those cultures will make you realize that like, basically like black people have been into this kind of stuff since the very beginning, like been into math and, you know, these, um, philosophers that studied in in egypt um so when i started realizing that um it started it's a certain story started unfolding where um i realized that it wasn't just because like i like there had to like not every kid is gonna pick up a math book and be drawn to it so i think that an important distinction that i that i had to make was um, like when, when a lot of it, this happened for me and my sister a lot, actually growing up where like adults would come up to my family and they, they'd, they'd like pour praises onto, onto the kids. Like, oh, your kids are so great. How'd you get your kids like that? Like my kids don't do that. And, blah, blah, blah. and my dad would go, some assembly required, which is, which is hilarious. But <laughs> I it love took, it. <laughs> it. It took me a while to realize that, uh, like, to separate because that felt like for me, from my perspective, it felt like um, I, I wanted to have ownership over like my positive traits, um, as well as my ownership over my my negative traits, which that is like very, very much goes into like the neurodivergence there. Um, but as I began to understand like and take ownership over over like those positive traits and realize that it was. It's like, I'm always going to have this interest. Like, I don't have to go into a career in math or a career in science um, in order to resonate with these things because they actually are spiritual. Um, and when I came into that aspect of it, where it's like, I can still engage and still resonate with, with um, like, looking at the stars, getting into math, um, writing and, and journaling and a lot of the things that we associate with um, like self-care and, and like the mental health craze and, and whatnot, a lot of things that are um, like for lack of a better term, have like become kind of trendy, um, which I'm, I, I find an inherent problem with it. But um, realizing, I'm even like trying to, trying to paint the context of like realizing that I basically didn't want my interests to have to fit into capitalism. And that's okay. That's really okay. That's why I said intersectionality. So realizing that. Yeah, because you're really good at this. You should go do it and make money at it. Exactly. So like, like, that's I, the message we all get, right? Precisely. So that whole thing of like, oh, he's going to, he likes math so much. So he's going to be, he's going to go to MIT. He's going to be a chemical engineer. And da, da, da. And then I started, I was, I was going along with it. And I started realizing it's like, why do I just don't care? <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just don't care. Um, and it's realizing, okay, because like this is, I don't have to 
I don't have to pimp out my strengths just to just to just to be with him. Um, uh, calibrating um, and the intersectionality thing with identity, blackness. Um, and I talked about how these things connect to like original culture and a lot of things with like neurodivergence and some of the experiences that I was having like early on with the burnouts and the meltdowns and whatnot, um, I began to recontextualize these experiences through a spiritual lens. Um, like I, I would have psychotic breakdowns um, and things like that. I had hallucinations and things like that. Um, and in the beginning, like I was saying, I thought I was going crazy and whatnot. And my identity and my understanding of self was not only within being neurotypical, but it was also within like the lens of um, like religious dogma and um, Christianity uh, cap and mixed with capitalism subconsciously, subconsciously mixed with capitalism. So I think around 2016, between 2016 and 2019, all these things began breaking down and because they were breaking down internally, I started seeing that reflected outwards. Um, and it only get, came to a point where, okay, it's like, I, I, in this book called The Healing Wisdom of Africa by Mali Doma Patrice Somme, uh, he speaks on how people who are neurodivergent were actually honored in other cultures. They were the shamans, they were the medicine doctors, they were the, they were the oracles they were the people that like we went to for help and then that, that got re replaced by the priest um and so on and so forth so um somebody recommended me that book because i was kind of doing what i'm doing right now i was going on the stream of consciousness and they're like you're saying a lot of things that are in this book so i feel like you would really like it um and i think that is that aspect this aspect is, this is also answering the question of like, why do I call myself Michael Vestarsi? Um, is all wrapped in together where understanding myself as, as a neuro, neurodivergent person and understanding, you know, my spiritual gift is like one in this, like growing up and like reading scripture. And like, I would say, oh, I think it means this. And then adults would look at me like, how do you know that? Like, oh, he's, gift of God, blessed, da, 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 is the same thing that makes my room messy. Like, it's the same. It's not, <laughs> exactly. Non-separable non thing. It's like, well, Jesus made his bed after. It's like, okay, but he was 33. Um, he was, and did, and, did he really have three pillows, a dust ruffle, a sheet, and a comforter? No. No, no. Less didn't. executive function stops, folks. Um, And thank you for saying executive function, because I was looking for that term for a while now. Uh, that was that was the first thing that that came up to me. The, the term executive dysfunction um, was the first thing I noticed. Where I was like, okay, there's things that I want to do today that I am not. I am clearly not doing it. And even if I think in my head I want to do this thing or I write down that I do this thing, it'll be like the next day, and I'm like, hey, I didn't do it. <laughs> so what happened? And and that inserting that back there in that other conversation, the other stream. Um, 
So I was talking about like how I became Michael Starseed, realizing that okay, this is these are all the consequences and ramifications of having just one singular gift, one singular blessing. Um, and I think I'm just going to actually leave it there because that's a mic drop moment. I love it. And to bring this together, because I think that it's such a beautiful thing because to me, math and art are the same. Yes. They are very, they are interwoven. They are the breath that is the inhale and the exhale. And all of that is very spiritual because we are all energetic beings. We are inhabiting this embodiment and our experience is all things. It isn't just that we have one thing here and we compartmentalize and, you know, so much of modern society tries to do that. Mm-hmm. However, we make things more difficult and, and more challenging and, and we create disruption and disconnect by trying to box all of these things in their own place and failing to recognize that it is all connected. We are all connected one being to another and to bring around the science to the creation and the artistry, which is you and your poetry. I would love for you to read and share the poem that you read the other night. That was so beautiful because it really touched me. Your words, how you phrased everything in this poem moved the atoms of my being. Mm. I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate that because uh, today I was reflecting on like why I do this in the first place. It's easy as a creative and an artist to get caught up in the career aspect of things. And something that I I was just like tapping back into was remembering that at first it was an emotionally emotional regulation tool. Um, But also I got to a point where like in high school when I would perform like my poetry, people would come up to me after um, and and they would express that they feel like I said something about their experience that they weren't able to put to words. And I find that very important. And I feel like there's a, a, there's a, there's an aspect of life that's like in the shadows, you know, that I want, that I seek to bring to light just by continuing to do what I do. And it, it moves me also when I know that, you know, my poetry can, can touch others and describe something and bring it more to conscious awareness. So that being said, I shall, here's this piece called, If I Do Say So Myself. If I do say so myself, a voice inside my head tells me I'm an awkward bitch, that I say all the wrong things and I can't be fixed. A voice inside my head tells me they don't like me, And they never will, dog. I don't know why you resist. A voice inside my head tells me, see, I'm still here and I always will be. Did you think that you grew out of this? Nobody will define to me what is and is not a big deal. 
Diminish your fears, dwindle your triumphs. Only I know the depth of what I feel. David and Goliath in the same flesh stand on a battlefield no one else can see. I take aim, the bullseye Ajna, and shoot my shot for a chance to be. Thank you. Wow. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this conversation and getting to meet and just share some time here with Michael Peterson and myself today. You can connect with Michael on Instagram at Michael the Starseed, and I'm going to have his Instagram link down in the show notes below. Come join us over in LinkedIn in Sydney's group called Nexability if you are looking for conversations around intersectionality on the spectrum because, hey, we are in there having these conversations and Michael was in there sharing and that's where I met Michael. And be sure that you also know that you have a light to shine in the world. And Michael is, if you're listening and not watching, Michael is geared up in, you know, my favorite color, yellow, and he's wearing my sunflowers today. <laughs> which I absolutely love. And you guys know that's the that's the symbol for the Shine a Light Autistic Advocate campaign. And this year, everything is all around accessibility. And Michael, I hope that you will join us as an advocate and be a part of the accessibility panels this month coming up in April for Shine a Light campaign for autistic advocates, elevating our voice and our conversations around accessibility because you already model this and show up in the world and you shine your light so brightly and it is such a warm, beautiful, glowing light. And I am so, so honored to have been bathed in it tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I would love to. I didn't even plan that. That's crazy. <laughs> See, greater, greater knowing always guides us. <laughs> Thank you so much. Guys, tune in next week. Don't miss all the amazing things coming up for April. And you know, last year's Shine a Light campaign, we had so many amazing advocates. We didn't just do April, we did May too. So stick around. Don't miss any of those great things, including the articles on the Brain Dump blog. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye.